Holman, I'm excited to announce that I am done with jury duty, completed my four-day stint as a juror, and as of today... He's guilty. Uh, he was guilty. As of today, I can now say that I was a four-person. Last time I was served on jury duty, I was the four-person also, and uh, we had, I had to turn the tide with three people to convict. Was able to make it happen. I turned the, well, I can't say that I did. We collectively turned the tide of to the jurors. And uh, we, it's a, we, yeah, unanimous. Guilty. Gil freaking <laughs> what was T. The, what was the crime? Crossing a police line, basically. Hmm. He was uh, shooting video. Which is, not, which is not illegal. Nope, not illegal. But when you cross a police line and you cause a, an officer of the law to delay his attention to the emergency at hand, mm-hmm. that's illegal. And that's what this guy did. At least that's how we found him. Like, we found him guilty of... You've just been itching to find somebody guilty. I've never been on a jury before. I know. You're like, did you look at the prosecution right in the eye when they said, juror number four, and you're like, guilty. You just mouthed (laughs) it and then winked at him? I didn't. I got got you, Holmes. Dude, the, the defense attorney had some great points, and a few times I was on the fence. But then when I read the law, to me it was black and white. Like, did he do this thing? And the answer was yes. Uh, I don't really care about your jury duty as much as I care about uh, the what? state of the Nissan Frontier. Uh, oh, okay. We'll talk about that in All a right. second. I just had to add, so I had to get into this. Yeah. Explain to you that I was in jury duty to right. ask you, uh-huh. is it okay to show up to your trial in pajamas? Sure. Now, was it no one on my case, but then the courtroom next to us, uh-huh. the defendant showed up with plaid pajamas. Yeah. Have you seen the kids at high school? They all wear their pajama bottoms now and stuff. What's That's just society. The, I know, but so he has pajama bottoms. Hey, listen, it's at your it, with a shirt and a tie I get tucked it. into pajama L- bottoms. Listen, like what? Are you kidding me? I, I, I will say this: optics matter. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can do that, but it might be at your own peril of what people think of you. And if you're going to go in front of a jury, you probably want them to have a high caliber of thought toward you. I mean, the moment you walk That's in, That's not going to do it. The moment this this dude walks in, they go delinquent. Lazy. Like, what? Clearly doesn't care. Yeah. Well, Convict. <laughs> he's going to have some baloney later is all I, all I got to say about that. Uh-huh. Okay, so you borrowed the uh, Frontier that I was borrowing. That Boulder Gray Pearl Pro 4X that's sitting on your driveway? Uh, did you, I, I haven't seen it. I, I could look on my ring camera, I guess. It's and there. See if it's it's there. in it's in one piece. You see the wristbands on my uh, on my wrist right here, the yellow uh, wristband and the Optima batteries wristband. That's from KOH, King of the Hammers. I was out there visiting our friend Corey Willis, who was racing. Pretty fascinating story. And did you take the Frontier out there? I did. Did you put gas in it? I did. It's got no, well. I it was full when oh, I left was, my house. It no, was full when I gave it to you. F- absolutely full. Okay. It was full when I left work last night. Now it's got nine-tenths of a tank, so it's not 100%. I would have to have topped it off on the way here. But it's- The way it's I over- topped it off before I handed the keys to you. Listen, it people, is, people it is, in I get uh, podcast land- I get it. People in podcast land- Okay, so you owe it's me- seven-eighths. You owe me at least dinner or something. Done. You owe me a meal to make up because I'm going to have to replace that gas. Fine. I'm happy to buy you two chili dogs with cheese and a large Dr. Pepper and fries. Is that not I enough? I think that's acceptable. Okay. This is my honest feedback. I am I'm impressed. Now, I want you guys to first say, get it out of your heads, that Lightning and Holman are shields for Nissan. This we is, are. This but... is, no, no, no. This is legit. I wouldn't say anything if I didn't feel this way. I'm telling you right now. 
So I drove it out there. What is it to KOH? It's 100-ish miles or something like something. that. It's got up, down, windy roads, uh, up in elevation, getting to the high desert, the, the whole nine. I'll start with the suspension. It was much softer than I expected. And that is both in road and I'm not saying that I went on the whoops, but maybe I did on the way out because I was tired of sitting in the long traffic trying to get out. So I went on the whoops section that straddled the, what is that, old man road or whatever it's called, old, old woman road or something. And I took it through the whoops. And the, the rear end did not kick up the way that some of the competition does. It's firm, but it's not too firm. And it's not too soft. It's quiet. It's super duper quiet. I'm going to get to the stereo in a second because the fenders freaking stun me. Suspension, I'm going to give like a four and a half out of five. It didn't seesaw over the expansion joints on the four or five, which even my TRX seesaws over the expansion joints. This one, zero, none of it. The brakes are really good. Polar opposite from its competition. You you know what I'm talking about? Like the brakes in the other midsize truck? Yep. Blow. These are really good. Almost as good as the Willwoods on my TRX. And that's saying something because those Willwoods are the best I've ever had. These are really great. Really firm feeling, but... Easy to modulate? Easy, super easy to modulate. Didn't go to the floor. Like it was, I felt really good about it. The steering is heavy. Very heavy. That's a, kind really, of a Nissan thing. It felt very, to steal a Holman term, Germanic. Like it felt ver- very German car. I really enjoyed that. You can still do a single finger spin. Like what do you call that? You just put it in the spoke and spin it around in a... But, it's, but it ain't easy. And I really like that. You feel like you're driving a truck with some substance. And keep in mind, this is a, a media loaner that has gone through the media fleet for a year, already has 10,000 miles on it. How many squeaks and rattles did that thing have off-road? None. None. Freaking zero. Yeah. It's, and it's, I'm, and I'm, when I say I'm going through the whoops, I think the whoops that I were going through are about two to three feet tall. You're not going very fast. No, I was doing 14, 15 miles an hour, so not mm-hmm. very fast. Uh, but I was, I was following Jeeps with long travel suspension. And again, we were just trying to get out. There. I wasn't racing through them, but there were a lot of, there was a Raptor right in front of me and the Raptor didn't want to go on these whoops because he was just waiting to get out, get on the main road, get past the traffic. It was a, just a mayhem trying to get out Sunday afternoon. I said, oh, you know, screw it. I'm in a freaking loaner truck. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to deliver something broken back to home. And it wasn't that way. And just, I romped through it at a decent speed. Super impressive. I want to get to the stereo. Because you we talked a little, lot about... Did you do your app where you do that the so, high and low? No, I no. should have. I, you know, we could later tonight. I've never heard so much good mid-bass from the front stage before. If you didn't tell me, I would, say, I would think that it had six by nines or larger, maybe yeah. eights in I, the doors. I would say the it's not super bright, but it's warm. It's not bright. So I do like a little a little more brightness and all I had to do was go into the EQ so I apologize I didn't set it back to your your whatever you had That's it when fine. I left I went up two bars on treble and that was exactly how I needed it I was thinking that the mid bass was coming from the door speakers and mm-hmm. it turned out to not be the case I didn't know it had a sub to be yep. honest with you yep. under the rear seat under the rear seat and I discovered that tonight when you'll find that I put my little scooter in the back so I'll have to take out that out that's when I discovered the mid bass but the mid bit, what if you guys have had a sub box? I put the JBL sub box in my truck. You guys, a lot of you have sub boxes in the back. The band is in the front of you, hi hat, you know, snare drum, singing, you know, vocals, guitar, and then you hear the bass kick from behind you. The bass was coming from the center stage in front of me, so I didn't have any idea that there was a sub behind me. I couldn't hear the delay. It is so well tuned. 
I mean, did you experience that? The mid bass and the bass was I, equal in yeah. front of me, and I did not hear it behind me. So how they've time aligned it, I can't wrap my head what around. What I like about it is you can hear the strings and things like that on uh, at higher levels without distortion. Like you can hear the pucks on the guitar and and whatnot. But yeah, no, I mean, this truck. I think the one that's out there is like MSRP was like forty five. Mm-hmm. And it has everything. It has adaptive cruise control. It has a sunroof. It has a good stereo system. It's got you know leather trim seats. It's got the uh, Pro 4X package. Mm-hmm. So you know it's got the uh, more aggressive tires. It's got the Bilsteins, the uh, skid plates, rear locker, uh, tow hooks. I mean, there's a lot of value in that truck for the money. You haven't driven one before, have you? No. So this was your first so, experience. Technically, well, yes. But for you, like around but, uh, a test track at two miles an hour, like it didn't count. Yeah. I had this for like two, three hundred miles. I just drove it over the last weekend. What was interesting is I was parked at Corey Willis's camp. He had the PPI guys, and he was there with a bunch of pro Can-Am drivers, the UTVs. And I walked out to say goodbye, and they followed me out. Just like I was giving them some stickers and stuff. And they go, what's up with the, the Frontier? And I, we walked through it, and they, had, they hadn't seen the latest generation of the Frontier. Corey's tuned just about every truck on the road, and he was impressed. And I think that's hard to do. So yeah. long story short, I personally am blown away. And Let me ask you one more question before we wrap up. What did you think about the interior and the ergonomics? So it doesn't have a lot of soft touch plastics in it. No. But me personally, it wipes down easy. There's no squeaks or rattles. And the graining on what's in there is really good. Like it doesn't feel cheap to me. No. Look, there is more plastic that's visible than some of the competitors. You know, you can't compare it to like my truck. My truck's got leather on everything. You also have it's double the price. It's the zero gravity seats. I've only spent up until this point with you and I an hour at a time. And that's and I that's how I said okay I I like these seats I really like these seats now oh they're super comfortable and I I will say that these are they're more comfortable than the TRX seats in my opinion and it has something to do with the bottom the seat bottom the lumbar the lumbar is in your back right the lower the yep. lower back support yep. the lower back support I didn't feel the lower back support I couldn't find it it wasn't adjustable so maybe it doesn't have it but I didn't miss it. What oh, I it's felt adjustable. That, it's, on, it's already on the max. It's on the right-hand side oh, of is? the lever. Yeah. Ah, I, didn't, I didn't find it. Anyway, it, however it was, it was fine. The seat bottom is what normally makes my the bottom, you know, my ass tired. Or the, it's not that your ass, it's the, the backsides it's of the your circulation. legs. The backsides of your legs in my TRX, so, I have to get out and have to walk. So the zero-gravity seats kind of are made, make it so there's no pressure points on the bottom of your legs. It's basically even support throughout and then that makes a big difference while driving so like, that's what i noticed yeah. nissan seats especially the zero gravity that's in the titan and the uh, frontier i can drive cross country and i have driven cross country in them it's, you can just get in and they feel instantly comfortable i did not find because you know me i'm like i like to get out and take you know breaks every yep. rest stop or whatever zero on the way out i, I stopped at the wiener schnitzel on the, on the way through and i didn't go in to use the restroom or anything did you Buzz spill uh chili in the front zero kept it pretty right. clean it's no dirtier than it was, you gave it to me it was super clean when i gave it to you the footwell was not you had sand and dirt in the footwell as if you had just gone off well the, the the floor mat wasn't everything else was was clean because it's pretty clean i kept the windows up so it didn't get you know koh dust in there or anything it's a great mid-sized truck so again if you guys uh, are interested Put at the top of your list to uh, check out, and I think you'll be impressed. Just like Lightning was, you can head to NissanUSA.com, where you can build and price, or head on down to your local Nissan dealer. The Frontier starts at thirty thousand zero three zero, so thirty thousand thirty dollars. Get the three hundred ten horsepower, three point eight liter V six, 
281 pound feet of torque and up to 66 speed transmission. Yep, and up to 6,640 pounds maximum towing capacity. Great little truck. We really love it over here at the Truck Show Podcast. And uh, please support Nissan by heading down to your local dealer and test driving one today. And please support your friends over at Banks Power who make the Pedal Monster Throttle Booster. By the way, I saw a video that may have popped on the channel this week (laughs) that was... So some videos of uh, Gail are Gail uh, explaining science and why competitors maybe aren't quite what they're saying they are. This was a straight up clap back, like calling out (laughs) item for item from the competitor and, and basically shooting it down one... By one, by one. I'm not going to say that this video was fun to make. But it was fun to make? But it was fun to make. How about the uh, part where he made a point to say the competition claims to be made in the U.S. and a U.S.-based company, and uh, they're all made in Turkey? So one of this brand's spinoff brands uh-huh. has an American flag on the box itself, on the unit, and yet it's when, made in Turkey. Then when you open it up, it, has, it says made in Turkey on no, it? On the website, it says it's made in Turkey. Oh. <laughs> they're not trying to hide it. Oh, interesting. It's a, So the, the name of the video that we're talking about is Gail Banks Fact Checks. Well, you don't <laughs> want me to name it. I can't say the name. No. Let people go figure it out. I'm, so anyway, it's it's the first video that you find if you go to YouTube.com slash Banks Power. Just Google it. It'll come right up. Gail Banks Fact Checks. <laughs> this other brand's BS. I can't wait for that brand to... Come back with whatever they're going to come back with. Can I Can I give you the spoiler, though? Look what he's holding in his left hand. That, by the way, is a legitimate trophy. No, like, it says that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the trophy says... Are, are you guys mailing that trophy to your competitors? Oh, you haven't seen the very end then. I have not seen the very end. I saw the short, the shortened version. The actual... I ordered this from the trophy place uh-huh. right next to Cal State Long Beach. Winner, the name of the company, BS Marketing... And uh, it's a like a 24-inch tall trophy. So uh, if you want to uh, find out more <laughs> about the uh, Pedal Monster, head over to bankspower.com. And all the reasons why it is so far superior to the competition. It is the only OBD-connected throttle controller, and that simply means that it has rich data. It has dedicated 12 volts that solves all the ills of all the other throttle controllers. It is the best one on the market. Find yours today at bankspower.com. And don't forget to use the year, make, and model lookup tool to find out which pedal monster is the right one for your truck. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman i'm not gonna lie holman i'm kind of excited about this I actually did some prep. I see this page right here. I actually, you did prep. I did prep. Yes. Well, wow, normally on these deep dives, you don't do any prep so that uh, our guests can lead the entire show. <laughs> well, no, people don't like when we interrupt, so I figure if I don't if I don't do any prep, then they'll just they'll if you just don't talk. know anything, if you don't know anything, you can't say anything. <laughs> exactly. Well, in this case, it's a little different. I feel like we have two heavyweights. Both guys are. I think they've got jobs that uh, I would love to have personally. We got Tim Demetrio, performance engineering group manager. And Giulio Bombaccini, who is the vehicle dynamics performance engineer, and I read that as being suspension dude. Yeah, he's into uh, the vehicle dynamics. In fact, uh, we are going to have him on at a later date. 
just specifically to talk about uh, his last project, which I think our listeners will find really interesting. Okay, well, I'd like you to shut up, and I'm going to dial. Is that okay? I mean, you can say yes. I thought you said shut up. Not Now you can shut up. I'm dialing now. Hello. Hello. Tim, Julio, Lightning and Holman Truck Show Podcast. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. How about you? Fantastic. Doing, we are so well. excited to speak with you. We, have, well, we should start with a jingle first. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was almost too excited to, uh, to get right into it. Hold on. You have a jingle. Don't move. It's the inside job, baby. Yes, it is. It's the inside job now. Oh, it's the inside job, baby. It's time for you to share what you do. Oh, oh, oh. There you go. In, got... case, uh, in case you couldn't hear that over the phone, it's the inside job. We're going inside of General Motors on two of the most impressive trucks. Well, several of the most impressive trucks on the road today. Uh, we're talking specifically about your relationship with American Expedition Vehicles. Holman has a little more experience, this is lightning speaking, a little more experience with these trucks than I do, but I've seen them at SEMA and a couple of events and... I'm not going to lie, I may have left a little drool on the bumpers. So I've had a chance to drive all three of the trucks. So actually all six of the trucks, really. So Tim and Julio, are they work on both the Chevy side of the house and the GMC side of the house on the product for, as engineers. So uh, Julio is the vehicle dynamics performance engineer, and Tim is performance engineering group manager. So Tim, if I'm not wrong, you basically get to play with all the toys in GM's uh, toy box, including the uh, Cadillac Blackwings. Yep, uh, that is the uh, that's correct. That's the joy of my job. I get to play with all the fun stuff we do here at General Motors. So there's there's a, a bevy of trucks now. You guys have uh, everything from the Colorado Canyon. You've got the Silverado and Sierra, and you've got the HD trucks. Both have hugely upgraded, especially the ZR2 and AT4X packages. And then the AEV overlay as special editions on either the Bison for the Chevy or the AEV edition on the GMC. And I've had a chance to drive all of the trucks. This is what's amazing is I got a chance to drive the GMCs out in Montana and the Chevys out in the California desert. So this is a huge humble brag. Two, no, no, this is. no, no, no. Two completely different disciplines <laughs> is the point. You've got these similar platforms tuned a little bit different that are absolutely amazing out of the box from the factory floor. I mean, I, I'm so impressed. I met Tim probably, I guess it was on the first generation ZR2, right, Tim? Yes. Yeah, back in uh, 2017 on the Colorado ZR2 that came out uh, back then. And at that time, ZR2 was being reintroduced as a brand to the truck lineup. And it was, yep. if if anybody goes all the way back to the old S10 ZR2, you'll remember it had a different chassis, different track width, came with BFG 31-inch tires. Uh, I think it was a 3-inch lift at the time. It was a proper factory 4x4. It was one of the, I guess, really one of the, the original off-road packages, especially in the midsize space, that actually had a lot of um, performance parts, if you will, on it. And then that truck went away, and there was a hole in the lineup. And then when you guys came out with ZR2 on last generation Colorado, it completely transformed the mid the midsize truck segment, overlanders and desert racers and everything in between, and now you've taken it to the next level with the new trucks. <laughs> That's always the goal. You never want to be worse than what you did before, right? Well, you guys are definitely not that because uh, having driven in Johnson Valley with uh, with the Colorado uh, version, 
was that thing with the jounce bumpers and the uh, Multimatic shocks, and the thing was unbelievable. And then being able to rock crawl with the GMC version of the Canyon off road, and then we took the big trucks, the HDs, down the uh, with the back door to Chocolate Thunder where KOH happens. I remember Tim was like, "Hey, we're going to take these trucks." You're going, no, "There's no way these trucks go well, down." I, I remember you telling me that you were surprised <laughs> that the staff there at at GM had had allowed you to do that. You're well, like, it was basically Tim. Well, Tim. Oh, so, well, th- that's why I love it. I mean, like, he's like, yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah, you guys, I mean, th- he came back and he was, he was explaining that he was stunned that he was allowed to do it. With, you guys did what you did with those trucks. And obviously it showed the capability, but the fact that you had the, the confidence in the platform to do what they did. To let a bunch of journalists do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. I mean, we, we pride ourselves that we we design and engineer the capability into these vehicles, and what better way to show it than let anybody and their brother drive it? So if it can't hold up to what you journalists throw at it, then we didn't do our jobs right. So I'm happy any day to, to let you have fun and experiment and really try out these these trucks. And how many of them did you write off after my colleagues were in them? None of them. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, we did that. Uh, I, I you know posted some photos, and if you go to uh, OVR Mag, you'll see in the current issue that's out right now of a Chevy 2500 heavy duty ZR2 with AV package going down the the back door to Chocolate Thunder, and it was funny because people are going, I don't know why you would need high clearance bumpers on a heavy duty truck. That's why. And here we are. We literally at the bottom. As you got to the bottom of the hill and the rocks, the difference between scraping and not scraping, or getting hung up, or not getting hung up, was literally the increased approach angle from those bumpers. The people asking those questions have never ripped a corner off their side by side. Need to go yank it out of a valley. So I've been there, done that, and I appreciate having a recovery truck. Be able to get tough places because that's less pushing for me. We expect this type of performance out of the 1500s. But when you introduce this to a 2500 platform, the HD, especially with the Duramax in it, that to me was a game changer because there are a lot of guys that want the heavy towing capabilities of that truck, but they oftentimes have to sacrifice for the the desert prowess. But in this, there is no sacrifice. How did this, how did you pull this off on the HD platform? Like, where did you start? Well, we started with our, awesome HD platform. I mean, when you build a truck that's as capable of hauling and towing as it is, um, a, a lot of what you have to do to be to build a truck that's capable of hauling and towing as much as it is, it benefits the truck off-road. You have very robust control arms and chassis. You have a powertrain that's got gobs and gobs of torque. All of, These are all things that every off-roader dreams of. So the HD platform is actually a, a very great starting point when you want to build a serious off-road capable truck and from there we just we take the zr2 formula and apply it to the heavy duty you know bigger tires suspension lift with dssv dampers e-locker boating it's uh it's a really good recipe that's proven out across our, our truck lineup and we were really happy to get the chance to execute on heavy duty so i was always interested in what the heavy duty capability level could get to Obviously, the GM platform uses IFS where everybody else is using a solid axle, so that's a marketplace differentiator. But on the first generation of sort of the big HD, when you move to the newer platform, I always felt like the ride was pretty stiff. The capability was there, but it wasn't as comfortable. So I went into the new 24 trucks 
thinking, you know, I've had experience with these trucks. I like them a lot. The interior isn't as good as I think it could be, and it rides a little bit rougher, but the capabilities there. And then you get in the 24 truck, the interior is completely redesigned, completely competitive or better with uh, with competition. And the ride that you guys were able to get out of the ZR2 and the uh, AV editions with the 35-inch tires, the Multimatic DSSVs, is incredible. It, it went from a truck that I didn't necessarily enjoy all the time unless I was doing you know big-time work with it to a truck that could literally be your daily driver. And the amount of compliance you got out of the suspension on the front end the DSSVs, and I've said it before, those things are magic. And Julia, I believe you're coming back on in a future episode to talk about more specifically about the Colorado Canyon. But talk to us a little bit about the yeah. uh, DSSVs. You know, fun fact: uh, when we just going back a little bit, when you we were talking to Tim about the first um, ZR2 and when you guys met in 2017. So I was at that time I was working still behind the scenes. So I was the suspension DRE, so the design release engineer for that first GSSV. Uh, I was the engineer responsible to put that in, in production in 2017. So that was when I started working with Multimatic, right? And uh, being uh, an, an engineer and working direct with Multimatic, I was able to learn a lot on all the capabilities of those DSSVs. Because the amount of knobs that you have to, you know, that you can turn and tweak, it's just a lot more than in a, in a any regular uh, shim or shim damper, right? And, and because of that, you can really have that, you know, exactly what you mentioned about having a good on-road performance, excellent off-road performance with no compromise, right? Well, and one of the things that I'll say is, you know, I think everybody is used to your your typical shim style piston on a piston rod uh, all that kind of stuff but what's different about the Multimatic is they have spool valves and uh, Julio is famous for having a couple in his pocket to show the journalists and if Does, no really yeah if you've never seen a spool valve they're, they're tiny and what happens is think of like the shape of a funnel turn that funnel upside down and outline it and then think of inside that funnel shape, right, is a line that's perpendicular to it, and that line goes up and down. And as that line goes up and down, it reveals the the thin part of the funnel, mm -hmm. and then it widens out to the fat part of the funnel. What's amazing is these little windows cut out these little, like, funnel-shaped reliefs in the spool valve, and as the spool valve is working, it's revealing more of that, and as it reveals more of it, more flow can get through it. And so... They're really precise, and you can do a lot more uh, computational fluid dynamics, CFD, uh, ahead of time to get closer to what your final tune will be. So you don't have to do 100 versions of it. Maybe you only do 25, 30, or 50 versions of it because it's so precise. And so you don't have the deflection discs like you do in a shim-style shock. The other cool thing about spool valves is uh, in a Multimatic DSV, all the oil travels in one direction. So unlike a, a typical body and reservoir, where the oil just right, goes back and right. forth between two housings, mm -hmm. all of the oil is circulating throughout the entire shock, which is good for heat dissipation and things like that. What amazes me about DSSVs is when uh, Chevy took them on, they were only, I think, on the uh, ZL1 uh, Camaro and Corvette, right? Doing on the road racing applications? Well, it was Z28 at that Yeah, yeah Z2014. 
So yeah. there was no off-road version of these. Multimatic kind of did it w- in conjunction with General Motors for that program. Everybody's like, ah, spool valves will never work off-road. Uh, spool valves, because of how precise the machining is, any dirt or contaminants that get into it are going to change the valving or that, the performance of the That's why they were saying it, just because they thought if they got dirty, they would stop working well, properly? Be- yeah, or? because the windows and reliefs are so small. If you get contamination in there and you change the viscosity of the fluid, now you don't have the same damping effect. And so there's a lot of naysayers out but there. How would how would dirt get inside the shock body? I mean, you're trying to like uh, like, like if a seal leaks or something like that. If you're in in like silt or a fine dust environment, if you don't have your wiper seal in good shape or your your rod seal in good shape, and dirt gets past that into the oil, that was one of the comments: is oh, spool it'll mess up the spool valves are too precise on the inside. Any dirt is going to basically you know gum up the works. And then GM proved on the first generation Colorado ZR2. That wasn't an issue. Not only were those shocks amazing off-road, but from a reliability standpoint, I think uh, you guys proved that that technology definitely belongs in the dirt. Yeah, we, we worked really close with Multimatic uh, developing this off-road capability on those DSSVs, right? Um, all of our validation uh, process, it's, it's a tough test for you to pass for our, to meet our off-road validation requirements. And what I'm talking is not even in a in a vehicle level validation. It's a component test validation in a bench where we can we can have that even uh, a a test that is even more severe than in a vehicle, right? Because we can control the environment the way we want. When we do our component level validation testing, I mean, you take a damper, you expose it in a salt chamber, a gravel blast chamber. I mean, we just we have some very nasty tests that. A lot of suppliers have a lot of difficult time passing. So, you know, if it passes our validation test, it's very robust and, and proven for the environments that these trucks are really going to be in. And I would even say that this the program was successful enough where they expanded it across the entire truck portfolio and different use cases. The other thing about the original DSSVs that I was super amazed with is the shock probably only had, I don't know, I think the at the wheels, it was like eight or nine inches of travel on the original ZR2, which means you probably had three and a half or four inches of shock travel, something like that, or shaft travel. It was amazing how much energy, especially on compression, that you could feel those shocks dissipating as you would come down, like if you jumped it. And I was lucky enough to be out at Suaro uh, a couple times, which is at the Yuma Proving Grounds, and to validate the original ZR2 and work with uh, the Hall Racing Program and all that. They built a... Uh, course out there. We were able to jump the trucks. There's silt there. There's crawling there. There's high speed stuff. The only drawback was there wasn't as much down travel in the original truck, but on compression, it was amazing that, you know, a a 5,000 pound truck was able to feel like it was landing on marshmallows with, you know, a shock shaft, you know, going in three and a half, four inches or something like that. On the new truck, there's more travel. And that only makes it even better because with the 35s, now you get longer travel and you have the ability to add the jounce shocks in the back to kind of as, as a secondary shock for compression. It's like a little Bob pre-runner truck. I mean, you can huck the heck out of that thing. We were launching it over whoops, dunes, fast trails. There would be like a, a square edge dropout. The truck doesn't care. I mean, it's, it's, it's really close to uh, Raptor and TRX where you don't believe like you, this is a truck off the showroom floor. And Chevy now has that technology in their trucks. And then scaling it up for the 1500 and the HD, you still get that really high level of performance where it feels like the chassis shouldn't be that capable, especially in the high-speed stuff. And you're going, this is ridiculous how, how well this works. 
it's really because, you know, we have this position sensitive uh, damping, which is like a second um, spool valve that works deeper in travel. As you go in travel, regardless of the speed of the shaft, right, you engage the second one where we kind of bump the compression forces and gives you that support when you, especially when you you're going over some high amplitude events right Tamar Julia when when you were testing this system did you ever hit something that you thought oh I'm going to break this this is not going to go well and then you rode through it like Holman <laughs> described where you thought oh we, we did a good job we built something that lasted funny, funny you should ask that because I think every time I did that out in the desert it's like oh let's do that again <laughs> oh, really? no, yeah nothing <laughs> happened <laughs> You're talking to the two that have had more close calls in this truck than uh, like doing <laughs> But Tim, it's, uh, it's always um, on a close course, right? With of course. Of course. Riders, right? uh, That's the benefit mm-hmm. of having our own proving sure. ground with an army defense system around it. Of course. Uh-huh. By the way, uh, if for those of you who uh, are curious, the uh, Yuma proving grounds are right next door to uh, a uh, Mexico. Well, that and a, and a base. <laughs> uh-huh. And so they take off with the C-130s and the paratroopers jump out. So when you're on the GM side, um, sometimes the wind blows and they land, like in the middle of the race course or the, the testing course and stuff. So I was out there one day and we're watching guys jump out and the parachutes come down. I'm like, what happens when they land here? They're like, ah, we just bring them to the front gate and they have a bus ready to take them back to the base. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. They get to see uh, stuff before it comes out, years before it hits well, the Well, Jim, Jim Dunn was famous for buying property next to GM's old proving grounds. And then he would just sit up in his tree. He was a famous spy photographer and take photos of everything GM was doing. There's a, a legal dispute and a lot of back and forth. And he's like, hey, man, I'm on my property. Not my fault that That's the dirty. fence is low. I'm creative, but dirty. So when they developed the uh, Yuma Proving Grounds, they put it on the uh, the base there at Yuma so to keep all the uh, riffraff from buying property around it, I think, and make sure journalists couldn't see things early, <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, and don't worry. It's not GM coming after you when you take pictures at our Yuma Proving Grounds. It's the uh, U.S. Army, and they're a little more aggressive than we are. <laughs> Which is saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk, guys, uh, about AEV. So when it comes to teaming up with a, an aftermarket company, You've got your, first off, you could do it yourselves, or you can team up with a company, and you, you've got the pick of the litter, meaning your GM, you can choose from anyone. Why AEV? How did that relationship start and blossom? Well, it's, it's kind of really easy. I mean, if you look out through all the aftermarket, there are a ton of great companies out there, but AEV kind of stands head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, they're a company made up of um, employees that are passionate about off-road. This is what they do day in and day out. A lot of them have previous uh, OEM experience, so they know the challenges that we face as an OEM. You know, there's there's a lot of things the aftermarket can do that the OEM can't. So it's great working with AEV because they understand the balance of, of what we're allowed to do as an OE versus what you can do in the aftermarket. And then that level of experience they have with OEs just adds to the quality. The, the product they deliver is top-notch. It's OE-grade quality. We talked earlier about our validation requirements. That's something that AEV really brings to the table is, is their level of, their quality level of their parts really stands out and meets all of our expectations and requirements as far as durability and quality. And it's it's just a great partnership. You know, just my my opinion, what I like the most is how well integrated the, the truck look, right? It doesn't look like it's a, it's a upfitter or 
aftermarket company that is doing. They do a job that looks like everything is so well integrated, right? It doesn't look like it's, it's not from a factory. That's what and, I like. And that's because it truly is. I mean, it really is. It's partnership. They're in our design studio early on when we have the full-size clay. We get the AV parts actually milled in clay. It's, it's a true OEM collaboration. It's not an aftermarket company that we design a truck and hand to and say, here, so they're upfront early on. We can make a lot of accommodations in our design uh, for their components, for anything they ask for, you know, winch provisions. All of our AEV bumpers are winch capable. So we take that into design early on, and it, it really makes a great product in the end for the customer. What's some of the testing that you go through or you put the AEV parts through? I don't think the average guy has or truck buyer understands we see crash tests you know i mean like on we see crash tests and all that stuff but like you know you talked about salt spray things like that gravel you know blasting with gravel all those things but like we just assume that if i can go to you know uh the the local four-wheel drive shop and pick up a bumper every bit as good as something that gm's making and it's not the case can you just talk us through just a couple of the tests that might fascinate us sure it's it's eye-opening the amount of um, complexity that goes into a vehicle build from government regulations that dictate things you can and cannot do that, you know, you'd never imagine. So bumper height, you know, why don't we have a 60 degree approach angle on every vehicle we make? I mean, there's a criteria that the, the bottom of your bumper or the frame has to take X amount of load for so much without contacting the tire. So it's basically so you don't run over a, a Corvette or a small car in front of you. So you have to have a, a significant structural component, 16 inches or less off the ground. There's little things like that that you never think about just looking at the vehicle. Again, the corrosion is mind-boggling. You, you think of what you see in the aftermarket, and we'll put them in our corrosion test, and they'll make it not even a tenth of the way through the cycle that we require for OE grade parts. So um, the coatings that are out there that we require as an OE, are just next level because we have 15 year corrosion requirements designed around our trucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, another example, uh, Tim, um, that vertical spare tire carry in the bad, it's like you have no idea how hard it was to validate and design a vertical spare tire carrier that will be durable and that will allow you to off-road and send it. Right. Yeah. I, I think too, Months of fights I've had in meetings about spare tire carriers and how to mount <laughs> tires in bed. I mean, you look at everything somebody does in the aftermarket, they throw some bars up, you roll a tire in, put a ratchet strap over the top. I've lost numerous hours of my life arguing, why can't we just do this? And yeah. we have good requirements. When you look at, you know, for the life of the vehicle, stuff like that just doesn't hold up. And well, everything and we have to design. That so, reminds me of, a, uh, of an aftermarket company who is very in tune with one of your competitors who makes uh, a version of their truck that uh, goes to them for upfitting. And it's a real well-known name, and uh, both of them, both the competitor and the vehicle. And there may have been photos of this vehicle, which is alleged to be a truck that can go off-road and be hucked and jumped and all that kind of stuff. And they mounted the spare tires to the, the rails on the bedside. And the <laughs> tires completely ripped the bed They're laughing. apart. They know because I know they know. I know they know. And I'm sure our listener knows too. But but uh, those circulated around the internet. And you're going like, who would design that? Like literally, you design that. Great. It's a great spot to store your tire. But it's not a functional 
way to do it for a vehicle that's going to be on rough roads and off-road. And, uh, you know, a truck has 12 or 13 inches of wheel travel. Guys are going to go out there and use it. Four, five, six hundred horsepower. They want to have every bit of that experience. And, um, you know, I, it's funny. Uh, somebody had mentioned, oh, well, you can't really see out the back window uh, with the uh, spare tire. So, like, on the Colorado, it's off to the driver's side. I'm like, well, if you look over your shoulder, you're fine. And I'm like, besides, I have a Jeep with a 37 on the back. I haven't been able to see out the back of my <laughs> in my rearview mirror for like 10 years or 15 years, right? So um, that's why they have mirrors and cameras and all that kind of stuff. But the, the bottom line is if you look at the structure and how beefy it is and the decisions that they made to have a full-size spare on there, all the stuff that comes with that package, and, and you think about like what you would spend for that complete thing, the skid plates, the front rear bumpers, winch-capable, uh, rock rails, 35-inch uh, tires, a full-size spare, a place to mount the full-size spare. And you look at what the upcharge is, and you're going, man, this is a pretty good deal because it's also covered by your factory warranty and all that. It's just, it, it, To me, it's an amazing package that, to Tim's point about what they have to go through with regulations, with ADOS coming on, with the sensors, with adaptive crews and parking sensors, with bumper height and, and, and headlight height regulations, how all that needs to be. I, I mean, AEV even told me the story about how they had to redesign the corner brackets to crash correctly. That is such an OE, such a, a massive step up in engineering over your standard aftermarket company. And it's it makes guys who are welding plate in their you know garage like they're you know in the stone age chipping at rocks to make yeah, but love, wheels for I the love, wagon. I love diamond plate, the same stuff you make those uh, the spare <laughs> yeah. the gas tanks out of, right? And the, what, in the bed. And look at the aftermarket. Look at what companies in the aftermarket are doing stamped steel bumpers that match your body lines. Yeah, yeah the, the nobody. Rear, the rear bumpers are very very critical for 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 crash right for rear crash because of the fuel tank. So this is definitely something that we we did a you know a, a lot of work with them to make sure yeah. we're not going to have issues I, with the fuel tank. I've had people swear at me for the way bolts are put in our truck. Why didn't you just flip the bolt the other way? And it makes you made a ten hour job out of something that should take ten minutes because of the way you put this bolt in. I'm like, well, there's a reason it's in. We're not stupid. Trust me. <laughs> We've had arguments because I had that exact argument you just had, and you know there's a good reason. We had a there was a you know, suspension, the leaf spring bolt. If you look at the leaf spring bolt on the last gen Colorado, the bolt comes in from the inside of the frame rail outside, which means you have to drop the fuel tank to take the bolt out or cut the bolt out. And it would be super easy if you just turned the bolt around and put it in the other way. Well, the problem is in a side impact, that bolt goes right through your gas tank and you now have flammable liquid dumping on the ground underneath your vehicle and it crashed. And, and so, this is um, exactly the type of insight that I think, you know, our listeners listening to the show are going, okay, wow, you know, the, these guys, there's a reason for everything. And, and I understand that because I'm sure there, I, I know several of our listeners who have ZR2s that have performance suspension. And I'm sure they probably, you know, they didn't know yes. they were swearing at Tim, but they were. <laughs> now they know his name. Um, there might even be a voodoo doll that they Don't poked. Worry, uh, right there with you. <laughs> Another, they're they're banging on their dashboard, cursing his name. <laughs> now I know the guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd rather but, them be mad at Tim than have a you know a fire if in a in a bad crash. Exactly. Or something. Yeah, it's it's our job as engineers to protect the customer from the unknown, and it's truly eye opening that the history we've been we've been building trucks a long time, and we've learned a lot of things over the years, and and we have a lot of requirements and best practices that are there for a reason, and when you start looking into some stuff, it's it's honestly astounding that vehicles can get put together and 
function the way they do, knowing everything that they have to go through, different use cases we've seen over the years, different environments everything has to live in. It, it's truly one of the most complex products in the world. And it, it's kind of a blast to engineer, especially being a gearhead and going, well, why can't you just do this? <laughs> and then somebody goes, well, no, we didn't think of this. And you're like, oh, wow, that's Something I thought of. Why, why would I so, think of that? Oh, see, I have the government I, looking at I think shoulder. it would be fascinating, Tim and Julio, <laughs> that if you guys penned, like, not memoirs necessarily, but, like, the behind the scenes on a vehicle, and I don't know what GM will let you share, but this is why we did the bolt. Just that one bolt, because you, there's so many guys that have had that one bolt that have to, you know, shear off oh, yeah. or whatever. And if you guys said, right. here, here, like, you guys were confused by these 20 things. I'm going to reveal the secrets behind them. Or, or just and, and a, like, a, a generic vehicle, right? Like not even about this specific, but here are the shit decisions as an engineer that we have to make in order to make this a, a vehicle that can be sold. I assume a lot of things are because of tooling, the way that they're manufactured. Or the ergonomics the, on the production line. Some of it is just, like yeah. this, The way the substructure has to go together, you can't put it together or it makes more sense. Yeah. A bolt, Send a bolt through the frame this way and not that way because the... The machinery can't clamp or on the, a certain or way. The or the order of operations, right. like what order does the fuel tank go in? When do the axles get attached to the frame? All that kind of stuff. And what people don't realize is not only are you guys building... So a designer designs a vehicle, and then you guys get something from the product planner. That's, that's the easy job, by the way, the designing. So then you guys get something from the product planner <laughs> that says, here's all the capabilities. Here's the requirements you need. Here's the towing. Here's the braking. Here's all this. And so you have to take the dream of a designer and the reality of a product planner and put them into a, something that takes as much as you can from each but can actually, I don't know, pass emissions and safety and, and be certified and all those things. But then on top of that, now you also have to figure out, okay, how do we build it so a mechanic who's doing warranty work gets paid you know, a decent amount, uh, whatever their flat rate is, to swap out this component? Oh, and also when you're putting it together, as it's getting sequenced on the production floor – these parts come in this order and we need to make sure that that operator isn't stressed putting these components together also. I mean, I don't think people have any idea how complex it is to, it's one thing to design a vehicle, it's one thing to engineer a vehicle, but then to put it together and then to sell it and then have aftercare and then have it last four, five, six hundred thousand miles or more and not return to the earth through rust in all sorts of climates and salt. And you've got customers who are, have your vehicles in 140 degrees and, you know, a perfect example might, or 130 degrees, the Dubai or Death Valley, even the, the, the park rangers drive, you know, full-size trucks out in, in that weather. And then you've got people in Canada in the oil fields or at the Arctic Circle and it's minus 40 below. And the same weather seals or the same oil or the same electrical system or whatever has to operate at both sides of those extremes. It's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, honestly. I mean, that it is... It is astounding when you look at the number of components in a vehicle and like you said, working with design, make the beauty that they make a reality. Safety, you know, is number one of priority. You have to make these vehicles safe. And what we do for safety under the skin of vehicles is often a trade-off for the performance that you and I would really like. Um, you know, why don't I have the room for 40-inch tires? Well, there's some componentry that has to go on our chassis so that you have a safe vehicle in a crash that gets in the way if you want to put a 40 inch tire on. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of compromises along the way in designing a vehicle. One of the things GM refuses to compromise on is safety and really executing the performance of the vehicle and a beautiful design that everybody wants to aspire to. It's, it's an awesome challenge as an engineer. There's so many moving parts and pieces 
especially, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a business, right? Every vehicle has to make money. Every consumer wants to pay as little as possible for the vehicle. So as an engineer, it's, it's this awesome problem solving skill of how do I make this awesome vehicle in the most cost effective way so that I can meet all the customers demands that they expect at a price point that they're willing to pay. If you look at $200,000 vehicles, it's easy to do that. What, uh, what exotic hyper cars do that that's easy. Feel an unlimited budget. I can put all the best parts on it and make it perform. But when you have to make a, a consumer product in a high volume at a price point that every person can afford, it really, it really becomes a fun challenge. I wanted to talk about something really quick, uh, Tim and, and Julio. You have an advantage, I think, with AEV. I don't, as an outsider, it seems like what you've done with the Bison and the AT4X, you couldn't have done without scale. Meaning, like, the quality you're able to have in, at, at the price that you're able to sell it for is only... It, it would not only, but it's it's largely thanks to your scale, correct? Meaning you can make many of them and sell a lot of them because otherwise it would have been cost prohibitive because the parts are so good and they would be too expensive. Um, I would argue kind of the other way. We don't, our bison products aren't a huge volume as far as the grand scheme of GM truck scale. Um, it's, I mean, we're still lower volumes than, than the mainstream products, but AEV has the, the perfect opportunity of, their manufacturing capability and their partners to bring to the table. That's kind of that in-between volume. It's not low volume. It's not hundreds of trucks, but it's also not tens of thousands of trucks. So that in-between volume is very, very hard to do in the auto industry. You're talking about, you can't do components in a mom and pa shop and yet you don't have enough volume to amortize huge equipment. So that's where AEV is really the perfect partner there to fill in that medium volume, low to medium volume specialty need that we have with our Bison products. And it, it, and I, I keep saying it's a great partnership because what they can bring to the table, what they can do, their flexibility and expertise in that space. It's just everything we could ask for and more. And I know that we have uh, said it, but I just want to reiterate, these vehicles aren't being built on the production line and then going to an upfitter and then being shipped to the dealerships or, or going back to QC or something like that. You guys have worked with AV. These, pro- these products are going on as the trucks are built. They're being sequenced in, in line at the factory. Yes. That is an amazing accomplishment and feat. I mean, you have to have special dunnage and all the things that go all the just, has just to work, in right? time, delivery. Well, but you got to make sure that, that that aftermarket company, AV in this case, bumper, can sequence in line and be installed just like the chrome steel bumper on a work truck. Or some of these have winches from the factory. How do those get put in? They can't slow down production to put them on. So you're, you're getting this additional capability. And I would argue that you guys have it the hardest out of all the engineers because not only are you doing all the on-road stuff, I think the the, the car guys, they it's, it's more of a, a, I don't want to say one-trick pony, but it's not as broad of a use case. A truck's doing everything. A truck has to tow, a truck has to haul, the truck has to go 85 miles an hour down the road, a truck has to go off-road, it has to be able to be overloaded, because we all know that all of the customers are not uh, following uh, the payload, although it's nice that GM trucks now have the uh, payload in the door, that helps. But all those things, you're fi- you're constantly fighting other things, right? If you want to have a more aggressive tire, now you're fighting NVH, but uh, you, know, you need 
uh, more thermal management. I, I laugh right now because I think in the last probably ten years, maybe eight years, as the diesel wars have really picked up, and and Ford and GM and Ram have all kind of gone back and forth. And then you'll see, and even Toyota to an extent, not in the diesel wars, but if you look at the new Tundra. All of these trucks have such a high level of capability. They need massive radiators for for thermal management, and it's so funny when somebody goes, oh, "I can't believe these designers, you know, they're they're just putting these big mouths on all these trucks, and they all look ugly." And you're going, "No, no, no, that's the engineers telling the designers that if you guys want to have this power output p- pulling up, you know, the Eisenhower Pass or some, something like that with a forty foot fifth with, wheel, yeah, then yeah, at altitude, we need all of that, you know, all that cooling ability and all that thermal management." If you look under a modern truck, you guys have oil coolers. Sometimes you have intercoolers. You've got a regular radiator. You've got a transmission cooler. I mean, air has to get to all of those things. And you just think about that's another balance versus design. And truck guys have it the worst because there's so many things you're trying to... It's like balancing a marble on the tip of a pencil or something. Can we talk about that for a second just to take a side note? Because that is something that Holman and I have spoken about a lot is that some of the people who are accusing trucks like you talked about of having too big a face right talk to me about <laughs> about that you know like maybe some of the de- designers like a sloping hood uh, more sports car-esque but is that a battle between you and the designers i will say luckily the design theme appears to be going towards bigger grills our studio guys always seem to be drawing larger grills and more aggressive faces lately on the trucks but honestly, that's where we go for requirements for airflow. Um, you, you talk about our heavy duty and what its capability is for pulling trailers. You nailed it on the head. The airflow you need climbing up Eisenhower Pass on a 90-degree day at full GCW, you need a lot of airflow. <laughs> There's only so much you can pull in with a fan, so you need a large opening. Um, so that is part of what's driving a lot of these trucks to bigger and bigger front grills and higher hoods is, is packing larger and larger radiators. And oil coolers and trans coolers, all of that above is, is trying to increase the capability of the trucks. And, and in that packaging of your cooling stack, as as it's referred to, you also have to have room for the winch. You also have to have room for suspension components like your sway bars and things like that are kind of in that uh, you know in front of the axle on the frame. Also have to have room for dissipation of energy for crash for your airbags and crumple zones. And then on top of that, you put these big giant mouths on it for thermal management, and you still have to hit arrow yeah. numbers for the rest of the truck. Yes. <laughs> and oh, by the way, with a winch. I have to design that airflow around that winch being there and blocking that space. Winches aren't small, especially the bigger and heavier the trucks get, the bigger and heavier the winches get. Yeah. So, again, that's, that's a balance we're constantly uh, trading off and, and designing around in, in our trucks. Is I need as much airflow as I can. Arrow for fuel economy wants me to have as small of a, a cross-section as possible. So, you know, if it were up to the arrow and fuel economy guys, I'd have no opening on the front and everything would look like an EV. But um, obviously, you know, we have to have airflow for towing and making the power numbers we need to haul heavy things. While we're on the, uh, the, the conversation of compromise, Julio, how do you make sure that you have a vehicle at one passenger, the driver, who's going to commute in that on a daily basis, ride well, and then also make sure that that same vehicle can handle a trailer or payload in the back and also make sure that the suspension is compliant enough for good ride off-road. I mean, that that seems like that's probably one of the hardest things to solve for in, you know, all of the automotive 
uh, design and manufacturing engineering is going to be the suspension engineer's job to balance all of those needs out. As as a as a vehicle dynamics um, right and handling engineer, I'm I'm really responsible for all of, all of that, like you mentioned, and not only that, but you know we are responsible for the tires. I, I mean, the tires are a major player for the suspension to work the way you want it, right? So the steering calibration is another point. Then you have all the bushings, right? And then you have the damper. And and it's it's really like there's a recipe for the basics on how you do it. That final tuning, it, it really depends on the person and on the characteristic of of, uh, of the, the person that is tuning. Tim, will my comment on that, I always tend to have my tuning more sporty than most of the the trucks uh, that sometimes they go on more uh, the comfort side. I, I like a little more support. Uh, and, and that's one of the characteristics that I, I like to have on a ZR2 family. So, Julio, right? it's, it's a, I, I, I will say on that, one of the things that I notice across the ZR2 lineup, and I can feel that, is there's some people who like really marshmallowy suspension, but obviously that's not great for high speed handling. It's not great for load control. It's not great for head toss and all correct. those other things. For me, I like more like a, a I like to say Germanic feel, something that's taut but yes, compliant. Yep, right. Because and then you can still drive it, on the road, it. but then when it hits a bump or something, the suspension still works. But you don't have to worry about it not being able to handle it in a moose test or an emergency maneuver. Yeah, that's the golden ticket of the DSSVs. I mean, you really get the bimodality of on-road performance, everything you expect, everything you just highlighted there of a taut vehicle that responds well on-road and yet still has the capacity for what you throw out at off-road. Trust me, I, I, I tried, and we can we can talk about that in, in, in the future, but I, I tried several different uh, tunings. I went to the extreme of having like a, what if we go like a more race variant? And that was too much, right? There's always, you know, not always like a, the more, the better. You have to really find that balance. I really appreciate the trust that uh, GM's PR team and then you guys as engineers, because I've been on many different vehicle drives with you. Um, I've had the, the, honor of being allowed to drive Suaro a couple times, and I don't think that's something many people outside of the company have ever done is, is drive. You're um, lucky. Yeah, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah it, it's amazing. <laughs> and, and you guys let me go. I wasn't like, here, we're going to take you for a ride, sit in the, uh, the passenger seat. It was like, hey, are you ready to get behind the wheel now? And to have that experience on the proving grounds and to be able to write a story about it and experience what you built for these trucks to go to, or being on a program and where... I'll just say it. I've there's been a few times where they said, hey, "Hey, Sean, we know, you know, you're capable. Hang back, let let the group go ahead, and then if you want to, you know, feel it out a little bit more, you can do that." <laughs> it was air quotes. <laughs> yeah. Feel it out, yeah, sure. Um, but the ability for for is, I think that one of the hardest things as an off road journalist is there aren't a lot of true off road journalists out there who focus on solely off road. There's a lot of journalists who are capable off-road, and there's a lot of journalists who do do anything off-road. And I appreciate that you guys are really good at recognizing and putting together drives with the people that you know are capable and allowing us to really experience the vehicle uh, more than the average bear, if you will, because it it shows that you have the confidence. And just like us taking the HDs, 
down, you know, the backside, uh, the back door to Chocolate Thunder. That's not a normal thing. Most manufacturers have like a watered down course that they built with a bobcat. Like, oh, here's our <laughs> off road course. We were literally doing trails in HD Silverados that are part of King of the Hammers. And you guys are like, yeah, let's do it. And it was awesome. And I just wanted to express that I appreciate the relationship that we have where, where you guys have let me really kind of take the vehicles and, and, and push them and test them the way that you would test them because it's given me a, a lot of insight into the, the quality and the capability of what you guys are producing there. And the new trucks are awesome. I've driven all three or all six, if you want to look at both the GMC side and the Chevy side. And they're all impressive, especially from a, a chassis and, and platform level. And I think before we let you go, the question that I had remaining was, you guys launched ZR2 back on Colorado. And then there was, you know, uh, Z71 and trail bosses that kind of came on the on the full-size trucks. And then the company decided, you know what? ZR2 needs to be across the whole lineup. What was it for, like for you guys as engineers to get the green light and said, this overlay that was so successful in Colorado needs to represent the Halo vehicle across our entire truck portfolio. Did you go out to lunch to celebrate? <laughs> I'm still going out to lunch and celebrating. <laughs> um, I, you know, the, the inner workings of a large company are always fun to dissect in stories after retirement. But um, I will say that the enthusiast group inside of GM was extremely passionate after the previous gen Colorado ZR2 came out. We had developed a formula with the ZR2 that was truly class leading. And like you said, we wanted to expand it. A lot of the us engineers really made pitches and plays of how we could do this across uh, the 1500 and the 2500. And it, it's been a, a real blast to just bring it across our full lineup and then build on from the previous gen Colorado to this one to now having 35s. Jones control dampers, the, the next level that we've gone on the midsize truck has really been up a shining star and kind of my larger team's achievements here at GM and what we were able to bring in a factory truck. It's really humbling to hear your praise on our trucks. And at the same time, that's exactly what we set out to do. Your comments about the drives and really showing the potential. I mean, I could stand up there in front of a PowerPoint and read you specs all day long and show you pictures, but to experience the capability of our truck, there's no replacement for going out and doing it. I got to say, it's pretty cool that, you know, we, we are very fortunate. We get to interview quite a few engineers and engineers are often not what you expect. You guys are way cooler, way hipper, way more in the know about what a lot more in tune with the customer than I think maybe a lot of consumers would expect you have all the seat time you understand why things are made um, from the inside and how they're perceived on the outside and how they're used i think that's refreshing for me anyway because holman is really inside being a journalist i'm just a regular schmuck and i i love the fact that you guys are so into it and so passionate about again the the geometry of every nut and bolt the way it faces to every little thing you care about and i I love that. I, I particularly spend time going on, you know, websites, forums, and and podcasts, and everywhere trying to learn and get feedback, not only from our customers and our trucks, but also some from from our competitors. So we try to be really on top of everything, and it's just because we are um, really off roaders, uh, right? Right, Tim. We 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 <laughs> enthusiasts, and we, so we like it. We love yeah. what we do, right? I mean, 
our comms team rolls their eyes every time at me, but every time any one of you journalists asks for my job title, I'm just saying I'm an educated redneck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do in my garage. And uh, I have the, the pleasure of my career being getting paid to do what I would do in my garage. Now with a lot more engineering and requirements behind it, but <laughs> it, it's truly my, my passion and, and it's, it's awesome to wake up every day. And, you know, you think of the hard days, you think of the arguments you have, the, the, the fights you have to fight for performance for our variants. I mean, you look at what we do and everything goes against what a car company would like to do. You know, like they want the most fuel efficient vehicle you can have at the lowest price point ever. But our performance vehicles, you know, the enthusiast customers, to satisfy them to build vehicles, trucks and cars that can do what they can do. I always joke, I like to do everything you're not supposed to do with a vehicle. So I want to build a vehicle for me. And it, it's, it's a true blast to be able to do that I, inside our company. I heard uh, they were originally going to call it the, uh, the 2500 Tim edition, but that was uh, shot down by uh, the marketing team. <laughs> Can you imagine the logos all over it? Just black. Tim. T-I-M. Tim. 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 You, Tim. Hey, what, Sean, what'd you buy? Tim. A Tim. A Tim. Yeah, Chevy all dealers. Got two of them on the lot. <laughs> all the old turbo diesel, uh, the cruise diesel and the Equinox diesel, the 1.6 liter, we always had a TD badge. And I was like, hey, my initials are on all of our cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Very nice. Very nice. All right, well, uh, Tim Dimitro and Julio Bombaccini, thank you guys so, so much for uh, hanging out with us for almost an hour. That's we're uh, way, we're, way more than we like hanging out with ourselves. So yeah, listen, hey, so <laughs> I, I know you guys are all, you, you're busy, but we'd love to have you both back on. I know that we've got Julio coming back on another show. Yeah, we'll be in a future episode. We're gonna really kind of dig into uh, chassis tuning and and setting up uh, the midsize trucks, Colorado and Canyon. So that should be well. We touched a little bit on but it, we're gonna on go station, but we're gonna go deeper. Yeah, I yeah. want to go a little deeper, and I want to have Tim back on too because these guys are a wealth of knowledge. Oh, Tim, Tim's awesome. Yeah, and Julio has an awesome there black cowboy hat. What? We'll, we'll save it. For, we'll save it for the next one. I think I have a picture of both of you guys in cowboy hats, but uh, eh, we'll save yeah. that for another time. All right. <laughs> All right, guys, you're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. All right. All right, hey Lightning. So I've got a question for you, mm-hmm. and uh, knowing how much you tried to bite your tongue for the entire uh, uh, segment there. You I, you didn't ask him at all about the. You could the, tell I was dying to go there, but the I, I wasn't going to. Yeah, eight point three liter Duramax. We have yeah. two GM engineers. <laughs> One is the head of like performance. Mm-hmm. This isn't me criticizing you. This is me commending you. Really? Well, they they wouldn't have told us anyway. So so I I know how many times have we done interviews and you said you know what. Ford, GM, Ram, Toyota, Nissan. They're not going to talk about future product, and this one is three plus years away. So I thought, it's just going to make them feel awkward, and I didn't ask, but boy, did I want to. <laughs> boy, did I want to. They're going to be listening uh, to their segment uh, when they hear the show going, huh. <laughs> <laughs> so look, uh, our friends uh, over at TFL Truck broke, I, I'm not going to call it news because it's rumor. They broke some rumor <laughs> they, that there really? is- Really? How do you break a rumor? I think they just, they uh, divulged a rumor- it's funny how this went down. Andre texted me uh, this morning, and this is a few days ago now that you're hearing this, and said, what do you know about the new Duramax coming out, the new generation of Duramax? And you said? No comment. I said, no comment. And he said, okay, uh, all right, you'll be interested in this new video that we've got coming out. I said, I'll keep an eye out for it. 
about 10 minutes went by and I said, okay, I need to know more. <laughs> so I texted him back. I said, what do you know? Bring it. Let me, let me, give me the heads up. And he says, 8.3 liters. And I said, 8.3 liters. Okay. Where are you getting that? He told me where Which, uh, he, they've coined the Megamax. Yeah, great name. Yeah. I was Can thinking, you imagine if he back, if they, if TFL backs them, GM into calling it the Megamax? What if it's the, oh, that's how I backed Ford into calling know, uh, the, the Raptor. Raptor the Raptor. I know. How about the, um, the Dura Beast? Megamax <laughs> is better. Megamax is pretty, pretty How cool. about the, um, did you see their video though? It's funny though. When Andre Googles Megamax, do you know what comes up? Adult diapers. Well, I mean, there's, there's some folks who uh, need a little help out there. Uh, uh-huh. It's an important part of. Uh, no, do you need the adult diapers if you get the engine that's that, that big? You yeah. might. 8.3 liter. Oh, so, so here's the thing 8.3 liter seems like a really weird mm-hmm. number. So we've heard differently inside of, of uh, the halls in which I reside daily, right? Uh-huh. We, we've heard that it will be a little smaller. We're hearing, I can't say what we're hearing. We just, we've heard that it's not 8.3. Eight, eight is it above or below eight? Below. That's... It's below. And it's and it's reasonable. When you hear the number, yeah. you'll say, that sounds more reasonable. Because it's in line with like, oh, I don't know, the old big blocks. Yes, Ish. exactly. No, this begs the question, why so? And, and there are guys, oh my gosh, if you've been on any of the Facebook groups or forums, they're all going nuts about theories and why so big and is for medium duty and this engine already exists. Just every possible so, like conversation you my can thought. have. Well, this is going to be the let me let me set the stage though, Holman. One second. This is a heavy duty and HD consumer vehicle we're talking about. This is an engine that's well, going to go in these vehicles. Part of it. It's also made for the medium duty chassis. Yes. So what I was going to say is, I feel like the reason it would be that big is probably for emissions because you don't have to have as much boost and was it? I guess cylinder pressure. Cylinder pressure. And so that way you can control. Now, the drawback to that is is fuel economy and efficiency, right? Because you're powering a massive engine still. So, yes, that's I was excited to to share that with you. But it turns out that you've already been thinking about this. So the biggest issue that, as you know, Cummins has fought. Right. And GM is fighting, uh, though it's not really public, but like us at banks trying to get parts that are um, carb approved, uh, not not carb approved, but um, uh, we're trying to get an EO, right? An executive order to show that our parts meet the minimum threshold for emissions uh, output. It's tough to do on a Duramax. It is possible. We've gotten EOs, as you know, you can go to the bank site and find, and other companies, you'll find EO'd parts, meaning you can get them smog checked. They're, they're, they're legal to drive in California. I, I bring this up because, it, but they're on the bleeding edge. So GM Ford Ram, they're on the bleeding edge of what they can pass by CARB and the EPA. It with the current engine platforms. That's correct. Using. Currently, right. So the Duramax has been around and basically the same. I mean, with some minor. Yes, the new one, the twenty four, has got different, uh, a different turbo, slightly different vein actuator. The bull on the pistons, different. All things ultimately that are to help emissions. But at the end of the day, it's still the same six point six liter architecture that they had back in two thousand two thousand one. So as the horsepower wars continue amongst these three companies. They've got the same size engines, but they have to get more power out of them. So they keep putting more fuel and more boost into them. The result of which is NOx. Our big brother doesn't like NOx. 
So how do you reduce this? This is just theory, by the way, as yep. Holman and I are coming out, just theory. If you increase the cylinder size, the displacement, the cylinder pressure theoretically could go down. And this could- And it would have basically a lower compression ratio. So you're making up for like a higher strung engine by with displacement. So it's like the opposite of what you're seeing in the car category where you have a, a, a really highly turbocharged, small displacement engine. This is going the opposite direction of that. That's exactly right. At least that, so that's why- we think they're going in the, uh, the small group that I'm talking to. Now, this is not like my Gail has not said this. I need to get his official opinion on this. This is just kind of the, 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 the banter in the office, right? That's all this is. And so we don't know this to be the case, um, but it seems logical. Um, someone we might want to check in with is Peter Trady, who could tell us more on a on a combustion you know, a theory. Uh, yeah, about the, the combustion. What would happen if you go up to this, an engine that huge? All right. So what do you think the uh, power output? would be with something like that because Andre and the boys say on uh, tfltruck.com they're surmising somewhere around 600 1200 which would align with uh Ford 67 doing 500 1200 now the interesting thing is only horsepower goes up in their analysis which is goes back to what you were talking about where it may not be the torque wars anymore there may be plenty of torque. It may end up being trying to get more horsepower out of these engines. Well, if you talk to Gail, so these guys all love to say it's all about torque, 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 torque. You don't get torque without horsepower. You know, and, and I we we should have Gail back on to talk about this because he's everyone's like talking about torque and pulling your trailer with torque. He says you can't have torque without horsepower. The horsepower does have to go up to get torque. I think that they're onto something. I think you need to at least meet Ford with their 1,200 pound-feet of torque. There's no way they meet Ford. They're going to go past it. You, well, I, I think at that like If you're going to put all that engineering into it and not beat your competitor, I, I don't see the purpose. Yeah, I mean, Part of this is a marketing game. That's that's true. Let's face it. These engines already tow way more, have way more capability than the average user. Well, it's there's so much overhead. I'm, I'm reading some of the comments over the last couple of days, and on the groups, there's a lot of guys saying, I don't need more truck than this. Yeah. Now, I suppose that you, the same could be said for back 1960s, where a guy's like, I'm pulling my 11-foot trailer. It's all I'll ever need. They didn't have 40-foot fifth wheels back then. You know, they weren't common anyway. And now... That's what you pull over the, the you know, the I-70, you know, up the grade. And yep. that's, you you, go, you pull a 40-foot fifth wheel on the way to Denver. So that's, like, we, we're already past that, and it's different times now. But I cracks me up, the guys who say, I don't need any more power. You always need more power if the, you know, Listen, whatever. Let me, let me ask you heavier. this. When do you think hybrid or electrification comes to the heavy-duty market? Like, why put a bigger displacement engine in when you can put a motor behind it and have uh, electric assist? Well, so they also brought that up. And, I, you know, I don't know if that's that – maybe it's just been Andre and I on the phone this morning talking about that. He, he's like, why don't they have what Banks just did for the Humvee? Why isn't there a motor generator unit between the transmission, the 10-speed, and the engine, right? So you can run – at the very least, you can have power export, right? Um, he's like, why don't the any of the HDs have power export the way that the 1500 series trucks do, right? The the half tons. And that was an interesting point. Because and that gives parity to their model lineup. It does. But of all the guys that need exportable power, there's the HD guys. Right. The guys who's carrying lumber who's actually got a, a chop well, well, saw on the That's what back. I'm saying is, like, is you have it on the smaller trucks. Having an electrification side of it would bring parity into what the, the product offering is. So I, I don't think it can just be the big engine. I don't know. There's, uh, according to Andre, 
in Zach's article, Zach Butler, who wrote it, uh, they're saying probably 2026. All right. If you uh, want to <laughs> read more about the uh, potential of an 8.3 liter Duramax turbo diesel V8, head over to uh, tfltruck.com and uh, join the conversation over there. Definitely uh, interested to know more. I think 8.3 sounds pretty big, especially when the biggest gas big block was 8. 7.8. <laughs> was 8.1. 7.8. <laughs> 8. I think 7.8 sounds high to me, too. Sorry. But, okay. I had something in my throat. Okay. Yeah. All right. Moving right along. <laughs> How about we uh, get into some five-star hotline calls? Oh, come on and be part of the show. Call the five-star hotline. 657-205-6105. It's the five-star hotline. Five-star hotline. I really don't know if this is classified as new hotline still. Probably should update that guy yeah sorry uh it still says uh, the, thanks for calling the new truck show podcast five star hotline and that was six and a half years ago it's just because we wanted you to uh relive the newness whenever you call that's uh easter egg to you we uh did that on purpose although like there is like 98 7 the new alternative like the They're competitor th- i know they've been saying People, new that's for california pompousness now. they have no yeah. idea what you're talking about no but i Okay, stations all over the country. You guys all have a pop station in your town. They're like, the new Power 103. Um, Anyway, this is uh, Greg from Southwest Pennsylvania. You know, I've called in a bunch of times, written in a bunch of times. I always appreciate the back and forth and, you know, love everything you guys are doing. Real quick, I wanted to to give you an update for your Whataburger in and out uh, tally. As I've said before, I don't know if you remember, I'm a teacher. uh, shop teacher, actually, manufacturing and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, I had I had the privilege of talking to a student that's traveled all over the map, all over the world, lived with um, his father's job, had to move around, and uh, he ended up, uh, he lived in California and Texas. I said, what's better, In-N-Out or Whataburger? He said, all right, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? What's it going to be? I'm waiting for the drum roll to end. Can I say what's it going to be one more time? Yeah, go ahead. All right, what's it going to be? He said, in and out all day long. You can't beat it. There is no comparison. So, thought you guys appreciate that. Keep up the good work. Keep monitoring those parameters. And five stars as always. Bye. Master, monitor, key, engine, parameters. Five star review! Five stars! Thank you for calling the Five Star Hotline, 657 205 6105. 657 205. Five Star. Five Star. Hotline. What's up, guys? Colby here. You asked for it. You asked me to call in again. Uh, this is the last episode I was listening to. Did we? Uh, sure. <laughs> Colby, call in any time. <laughs> uh, tread lightly. Some stuff came to my mind. I worked for. A few different uh, government-type agencies and uh, dealt with some of the aspects of off-roading in, in good ways and bad ways with them. And uh, I think something that's undervalued, that's not talked about a lot with these people, that I think should be brought to the table more often, is that, like, not every mile of trail is, is equal, and what I mean by that is sometimes I think that some of the government agencies forget that uh, how important, like, loops are for rides and for keeping roads and trails uh, to not be beat to death. 
having loops where they can go out one direction and come back another direction. Uh, too often in my work, I saw where th- there were dead-end roads or dead-end trails, and what happens is these people go out, and they're like, well, I've already seen everything there is to see on this trail, so now I'm just going to, like, destroy the end of this, or I'm going to go look up this little fence line that looks like a trail. And so I think sometimes they need to focus more on um, connectivity of routes instead of just plain miles of trail. But anyway, Sean, I know you – end up being in a lot of these meetings. Keep that in mind. That's my own two cents, but anyway. And then the other thing with, like, the worst drivers being Ram owners, I, I maybe, but I feel like Dodge, like the old 12-valve Dodge, like, you know those guys are up to no good. Uh, <laughs> you see them, the ratted, ratted out truck with, I don't know where all the tailgates disappeared to, but there must be some, like, delete button from the factory hidden in the truck that just, like, they just ejecto tailgate off those trucks. But anyway, that's just a joke. Have a good one, guys. All uh, right, Colby, hey, appreciate that. Colby actually is uh, speaking the truth, I think. I, I would I would go with that. 657-205-6105, five-star hotline. Hi, this is John Wayne, president of the Giddyups Corporation. That's G-I-D-D-Y-U-P-Z dot com. I am the inventor of the Giddy Ups Grab Handle Extenders, and I am in Texas right now okay. looking for a manufacturing deal. How The governor of Texas is behind me, as are the Texas Rangers. Well, I'm an Angels fan, so that's not going to help you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so is it now you call the Five Star Hotline to promote your company that doesn't have product yet? I'm not. Is that what he's asking for? I have no idea. That's... Is he looking for? I'm in Texas right now, looking for a manufacturing deal. So I, uh, we're not the right. We're not. We're not the uh, droids you're looking for, sir. But, but wait a minute. He's saying. But I'm in. The way he said, it, I'm in Texas right now, as if we're in Texas right we're, now. We're not in Texas. We have nothing to do with manufacturing, and uh, we're just a podcast in California who hates Whataburger. That's it. I'm so confused by this call. <laughs> Why would he think of us? I, I don't know. Hmm. You know, you guys got this new midweek show going on. Oh, Colby, you need a, a more catchy jingle to go with it. You know, like something from like the "Bird Is the Word" song from Family Guy. You know, have you heard, heard, heard? You heard it is the word. Have you heard, heard, heard? The heard is the word. Love you, Colby. Don't ever sing on the Truck Show podcast. <laughs> Leave that to the professionals like Lightning and myself. Exactly. Six five seven two zero five sixty one zero five. That is the five star hotline. Be like Colby and give us a shout, day or night. If you're an over the road trucker, you've got a lot of time to kill. We'd like to hear from you. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Oh, oh. And a special thanks to our guests Tim and Julio for uh, coming on the podcast, giving us some cool insight on the programs that they work on. Uh, if you want to uh, send us an email, tell us what you think. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com, Holman at truckshowpodcast.com, or Lightning at truckshowpodcast.com. And of course, you can find us on the socials at truckshowpodcast, at Sean P. Holman, at LBC Lightning. So it's funny, uh, a dude, um, I forget his name right now, but he says, Hey, Lightning, I'm just sliding your DMs looking for a deal on some banks parts via email. <laughs> well, I'm like, well, that's a DM. It's a direct message it's, on Instagram. It's specific. Listen, just Instagram. Pal, you can't follow the rules. No deal for you. <laughs> no, I still, I still laced them up. Oh, nice. I got him a special discount like code. Yep. 
All right. Uh, we want to remind people you can leave us a message on the five star hotline. Uh, please leave us a message 657 205 6105. Don't forget to uh, leave us a five-star review on Spotify, on Apple, and uh, on truckshowpodcast.com is our events calendar. So if you've got an upcoming event, uh, whether it is repeating or your big annual bash, whatever it is, shoot us the info and we'll put it up on our truck calendar. We want this to be the 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 go-to place yeah, for anybody in the uh, truck world who's got an event. Wherever you guys are located in the country, there is probably an event within a couple hundred miles of you. We are trying to lock down all the major events, and as many small events as we can get on there. I think there's close to 80 now. So we got 2024 kind of covered. Covered. Not totally. And smothered. But if you have an like event- Like my Waffle House hash browns. There are a lot of like trucks and coffee events that I will, I'm happy to put up as well. So if there's a local event to you in Des Moines or somewhere, send it our way, please. I will will add it, and uh, and hopefully it'll attract some extra people to your event. All right, as much as it's time to get out of this podcast studio, we should remind our listeners who want to get out there and adventure. Uh, there is a, a little magazine out there called OVR, Outdoor Vehicle Recreation. And if it's something that you've been considering or kicking around, mm-hmm. you can go to OVR. Give me one of these right here. That's the one. All right, right, look at this. You can go to OVRmag.com. You can hit the subscribe tab, and then you can choose between a free digital subscription for a year or 10% off a print subscription for a year. That's six issues. The discount code is at Truck Show Podcast. You must be out of your mind. Holman, why did you guys at OVR choose to print on such expensive paper? And I'm being, in all, all seriousness, when, like, your competition is basically leaflets. Because our competition is leaflets, and oh, we yeah. want to show people how committed we are to putting out a uh, high-quality print magazine for uh, the outdoor enthusiast. So, like... You can tell when a magazine is having some financial difficulties when the pages get really thin when you can see through them. Oh, we're it's, we're the opposite. We started with financial difficulties. Y- you could <laughs> you could you could use this as wrapping paper. It's, it's like thick, that. It's, it's thicker it's than that wrapping paper. It's like wow. it's, it's it's very high quality. It's, it's a something that mag. you can put on your coffee table and uh, and have your guests enjoy. Well, I know we're talking about the finish and not the substance, but what is the finish on the outs on the cover? Why it's a gritty matte finish? Yeah, it's matte like sandpapery. I really I like it because it's the uh, the vibe we want to put out the, there. That's the thing. That's the thing. So huh. appreciate everybody who has. Uh, basically subscribed. I mean, I know we have a ton of Truck Show podcast listeners because I see your little comments in the sections in our in our back end. But keep in mind, we're at our year anniversary. So if you subscribed last year, it's time uh, to renew. So a little uh, winky winky on uh, uh, helping you with that uh, re-upping. Did you just say winky winky out loud? I did. <sighs> All right. Uh, for those of you who <laughs> uh, you. want to hear the podcast sound as good as it's ever going to sound, uh, you want to pick up a brand new Nissan truck. All right, listen, we love our Nissan trucks. They've been a great promoter and sponsor of the Truck Show podcast. So if you're in the market for a truck, please put them on your list to go test drive. You can do that at your local Nissan dealer. You can check out the Frontier, the Titan, the Titan XD. The Titan and the Titan XD have the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Of course, you can head over to NissanUSA.com where you can build and price and get exactly the truck that you're looking for. And if you're looking for someone to excoriate their competitors in the marketplace, look no further than Mr. Gail Banks and on the Banks YouTube channel. On Banks YouTube <laughs> channel, do you like? So there's a raging debate: Banks Pedal Monster versus this other brand. Uh-huh. If you're familiar with the throttle booster market, you know this other brand, and they've made some insane claims. 
that are laughable. If you were ever on the fence about whether to buy one, not only will this make you laugh, you'll understand why you need one for your truck. The Pedal Monster gets rid of throttle lag in a very meaningful way, and it makes your truck more fun to drive. So go to BanksPower.com's YouTube channel and watch Gail Banks clap back. Then go to BanksPower.com, type in your make and model to find the one for your truck. So um, I think I owe you a dinner for not uh, putting the gas in the frontier. So do you want to cash in on that tonight or some other time? Yes. <laughs> what? The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Truck Famous LLC. This podcast was created by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please open your Apple Podcast or Spotify app and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan, there's no better way to show your support than by patronizing our sponsors. My mind isn't working enough to do this any better than it is. I was going bananas. My mind is just ready to go completely. My own mind is deteriorating. Boy, that was good.